talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing, our show where here now in 2022, we take a look back at formerly Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing, from a bit more of a excuse me, leftist socialist perspective. I'm Dave. And I'm Stu. And I just had some soda. Uh, Mm. And we are here to discuss the episode entitled A Good Day. And I'm having a good day right now. Yeah, me too. uh, You know, other than the landscaping that's constantly happening because it's summertime. (laughs) Yeah, 95 today down here in Florida. Dude, I saw there's like a heat dome coming for y'all this week or something. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was like 48 degrees here in upstate New York today. I saw that the high in New Hampshire was 35. It is Jesus. June 18th. It's June! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, summer has fully arrived anywhere in the uh, remotely near the south or the southwest yeah. <laughs> or the west. So that's fun. But we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about the West Wing. And so this episode starts off with a... Actually, shit, I forgot. I literally just watched it, and I forgot exactly how we kick <laughs> off. But it's basically, it's an episode where we're, we're back in the White House. Uh, Santos and Will and Josh and Donna are all back still, I guess, from last time. Um, and Yeah, they so are... they're still sticking around in D.C. Are we meant to yeah. understand that this is occurring, like, well, no, right because... after last episode? I think so. I guess, but also like they mentioned at the thing, so let's that he came let's in. in. Yeah, yeah. He, let's he introduce the conceit. In. Good point. Yeah, yeah. because the 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 first big thing that's happening is there is a vote, a very important vote that's happening, and to do the president a favor, Matt Santos has returned to Washington D.C. from the campaign trail to mm-hmm. cast to vote. For, yeah, I guess like what he thinks will be a pivotal vote in right. this issue. Um, so yeah, that's how we open it. Right. So, yeah, the Santos campaign is coming back to um, so that Matt can cast his vote in this stem cell bill that is going to is going to ban the use of dis- discarded stem cells from IVF procedures that would have been thrown out anyway. It's going to ban the use of them because the Republicans have control of the House and, you know, they're Republicans. Yeah, um, they're, they're weird theocratic babies. There, there's no more so, logic to it than that. Although the episode does try to get into the logic of stem cells at one point because there's one Democrat guy who's like, you know what? I'm just not convinced about stem cells. And then like <laughs> him, him and Santos have a heart to heart throughout the night. And then in the morning, he's like, you know what? The reason debate has changed my heart and I like stem cells now. Yeah, you know what? I may be a redneck some bitch, but you make a good argument, Mr. Matt Santos. <laughs> like, so anyway, so this thing is it runs through the episode and mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. it the the intent, I believe, to tie it into the like campaign machinations is that we have Cliff Callie newly recruited into his role as the new Josh mm-hmm. in the White House, basically being put to his first test as like a pseudo whip for the administration's desires as a josh type exactly yeah yeah he he does all the machinations of this where basically they do this scheme where halfley the republican speaker is going to call the vote because he has the votes to win on his side 
they're going to convince him that all the Democrat senators or, and Congress people went home back to their districts for the weekend and they're gone and they're not going to vote. And that, But actually, secretly, they are hiding them in the VP's office on the Hill uh, and then w- they're going to wait out there the night and in the morning when Halfley calls the vote, then they all emerge as as Trojan warriors did from the horse and uh, and then cast their votes, thus winning the vote. So that is Emma, that is the scheme. Yeah, Emma described to me some arcane procedural requirements where it's like once you you can't enter the chamber once the vote has been called. Right. I I immediately thought of like a million different procedural ways that they could completely crush this stupid scheme. Uh, he could yeah. just be like, okay, vote's over, never mind, or, or like, I'm descheduling it, I'm but, ending the session. Like, and I think what, what, the show, what the show kind of fails at is because there are so many moving pieces, and let's be honest, because we're distracted by Cliff Callie being sewn into his suit and the size of his traps in this <laughs> huge purple shirt, and like Matt Santos being back and being handsome everywhere, mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. they kind of explain like the minutiae of congressional procedure why this scheme in Works. particular sure will work but yeah. it's also the the demonstrated actions never seem to butt heads with what they talk about because from the viewer's point of view we see like a little bit of subterfuge which is frankly like it's really cute it's adorable there's like yeah. mission impossible music going yeah. and yeah. They're, like sneaking there's, around there's a lot of like okay now look sad while i talk to you but i'm telling you a good thing kind of kind of shit going on yeah <laughs> it's adorable and they're like they walk down the hallway past the republican guy and they're like loudly saying like boy sure is hot at home not looking forward to being back on the trail how about you yeah can't wait to get home to my district and my constituents for the entire weekend wink wink the reason i'm walking down this hallway is to get into a cab to go to the airport definitely not sticking around (laughs) definitely not so they do all that and again it's it's great there's a little bit of a physical comedy aspect to it which is like it's fine and fun um but I, I, I Sant- still... Santos sits on a sleeping Donna at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> which is <laughs> made me laugh out loud because Donna reacts how a sleeping person who got sat on would react and freaks the <laughs> yeah. fuck out. I, I just like that. It's actually, it seems to me, it, it plays weird on the screen because you're assuming it's going to be like a clean television type confrontation, but her like weird kind of warbly scream just is very much like a person who wakes or like who is woken up traumatically. Yeah, type of exactly. Reaction. And then she's like groggy about it, and she's like, "Is this even real? Am I dreaming?" <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's well pretty done. funny. So, so there's there's good humor throughout the episode, but the structure is all over the place because while we're presenting this as like one coherent thing, it's you know it's dotted all over the episode and mixed up with all the other elements we're about to get into. Yeah. So there's but there's also it's it again it serves as an excuse because. One thing that I was totally unclear on, and they sort of talk about it again with this vote, is, okay, Matt Santos, member of the House of Representatives, representing a district in Texas, can be there to go into the thing and vote. And actually vote. Right. Yes, and actually vote. But we also have Will (laughs) Will and Donna Donna. (laughs) representing Bingo Bob. Back in town, even though Bingo Bob 
is the vice president. The vice president. And has nothing to do with the house. (laughs) Yeah, who votes in the Senate if he votes at all. And so they have this fucking, like, god-awful, drawn-out thing about, oh, well, you know, because he used to be in the house, he has lifetime floor privileges. So he can go in and, like, cheerlead these votes or whatever. And just, I don't fucking care so oh, it's and just and we don't actually get gary cole by the way no like, we don't even see fucking gary cole so it's real yeah it's a real slapdash kind of thing of like well we just want josh molina and and donna there so fuck it we'll just say <laughs> you know bingo bob's there but he's just off screen don't worry about him <laughs> yeah so it also it gives them the opportunity i think again the main thrust of this is to put cliff callie in the spotlight yeah um yeah which this is, is basically I, his episode yeah yeah so they make you know he has him going in and out and josh like criticizes how he's redone his office which also emma and and we both noticed this it's like what has cliff callie done with josh's office there's, like basically there's, nothing <laughs> well no but there's two desks in josh's office they both face the same way and the computer is on, like, the secondary desk. <laughs> so there's a shot when they walk in from the... If you're sitting in Josh slash Cliff's seat, they walk in the door in the left side of the room that basically is next to the ancillary desk with the computer on it. There's another door that goes out to, like, the secretary bullpen on the wall straight across from you. And mm-hmm. then there's another door... On the that, right that side of the office. we've never seen him use. And it's it's like a fucking... Actually, I, I, I think Sam, Sam came in through there once, I want to say. And it's it's like a fucking cube room. You can get into this office from everywhere except, yeah. like, the floor. <laughs> um, so, I they, they do this thing where it's Cliff Callie's taking over, and he's like, oh, you like what I've done with the place, blah, blah, and there's a little, little macho push and pull, posturing, macho yeah. posture. Yeah, totally. And then... It's good because, sure, go for it. And the next thing we'll talk about is another instance of this. Like, yeah, you know what? Drum up some of these secondary characters and see where it goes. I'm I'm okay with that. Like, sure. you know, do your best, guys. Yeah. Like, Cl- Cliff's new, at least. He has new yeah. energy, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, and we ultimately, nothing novelty. happens. <laughs> ultimately, nothing happens because, like you said, the it's a bill that stops the ban right so the the status quo is maintained because yes. that's that's the ultimate <laughs> achievement here on the west wing god bless uh, uh and speaking of the status quo being maintained let's move over to kate's subplot so kate yeah. is coming off like just a generic military briefing in the sit room and then some guys like by the way ma'am do you want an update on the canada situation and she's like excuse me the the canada situation and what i love what i love about kate's attitude throughout her entire subplot is just like the amount of fuck she gives is zero and like she is not having anyone shit because like so it's basically there's this hunting dispute that the guy tells her about where like 15 montana hunters are like hunting in canada and it's like a border dispute or they're shooting in like Canadian territory where they're not supposed to be. And thus a couple like Canadian officials have come down to try to like get them to leave. And the hunters went, no. And and so like it's it's technically escalating into a standoff. And Kate treats this as exactly as stupid as it fucking sounds. Well, yeah. And they're like. You know, so these guys are on our territory and these, you know, these kind of local game people came by and told them to fuck off. And the hunters are like, no, it's our 
property or whatever. So now, like, the Mounties are getting involved. Right. Right. And so there's this military guy who keeps briefing Kate throughout the thing. And I love this dude. He is, like, the oh, yeah. er, the er military guy. He is, like, the man that you just clone him 12 times and you have the Joint Chiefs of Staff kind of thing. <laughs> and and he is just ready with plans and attack helicopters and <laughs> CIA operatives and whatever you fucking need, Kate. I've got it ready for you, ma'am. How, how do you want to invade Canada today? I, I've got all of your <laughs> options. Tell me. And I'm Kate, ready to pull the trigger. I got, I've got... Throughout the whole thing, Kate is just like, we're not fucking invading Canada. God damn. And un- until she gets real fed up with it halfway through the episode and, like, the Canadian ambassador starts making all these stupid-ass demands about, like, well, look, we're going to negotiate about this or whatever. She's like, you know what? Fuck it. I will invade Canada. Knock it all the fuck off. <laughs> yeah. If you don't just shut the fuck up and give our people back, I'll do it. I've got a whole guy. Yeah, like, we, yeah, because she's talking to someone earlier over the video phone, and it's like, look, America, you know, we, we don't have a secret contingency plan to invade Canada, and the mil- er, military guy has to be like, uh, ma'am, uh, don't say that, that's technically a lie. <laughs> he's in the back, he's going like, oh, you mean this secret security plan to invade Canada? <laughs> yeah, I, I got it pulled up, actually. <laughs> so so they, they do this really back and funny. forth. There's, there's a couple things where, I mean, you mentioned here where it's like one of the consequences is permanent a permanent ban from, or exclusion from the NHL. Yes. Oh, my God. That would get Canada to the table on just about fucking anything. <laughs> like, diplomatically. That's the ultimate. Yeah, she throws it off as, like, a joke to Will because Will's approaching her throughout the whole thing being like, well, the VP's friends with the governor of Montana, so he actually wants you to take a hard line on this. And she's like, a hard line on what, Will? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and we, so we, we are trying to bring Kate into, you know, kind of more main dumb, main mm-hmm. character dumb mm-hmm. here. And I think this is good because she definitely plays to the role well of like, you know, she's smart. a hard nosed operator type. Right. Like she and she's knows, the smart, logical one with all, with everyone around her being an insane idiot who just wants to escalate. <laughs> yeah. And there's a couple, the, the only thing that bugged me about her arc was there are some, the the show can't decide how to visually treat Mary McCormack, and it bugs me. Like the we talked about her wardrobe in past episodes, which we under I think we we came around to being like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. You know, she yeah. doesn't have time for clothes. It's, She's it's too a characterization, too hard nosed no. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, they they light and shoot her very weirdly, especially within yeah. the sit room. Yeah, there's. Some funky shadows going on and, like, really harsh, um, I don't know what the word for it is, but, like, a lot of the shots will have her cut off from, like, well, they'll have her, like, the screen will cut off from, like, the middle of her forehead up. And so there's, it's just, I, I, I don't get it. I think the cinematographer is confused by Mary McCormack's dimensions <laughs> somehow. It's like, what the hell is going on here? There's a scene where she's lit from the top. She looks like a fucking alien for some, like, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I, I do like that the ultimate resolution of this is just Kate yelling, the problem is us, which yes, Kate, now extrapolate for the rest of your fucking job. Oh, and- for sure. And so, like, she correctly realizes that America's options have nothing to do but escalate. And so she just gets on the phone and is like, who's the local official on scene? Do they have a bullhorn? 
Tell him to say hunting season's over and that they have to go home. And there we go. That's it. <laughs> Problem solved. Boom. Diplomacy, baby. Yeah. So, I don't know why we need the whole rigmarole with like, oh, we're going to send Apaches and CIA guys. Because in reality, this is how it should have been handled from the from the jump. But, you know, then we wouldn't have a plot, I guess. <laughs> That's true. Well, then we wouldn't get an excuse to have Will Bailey and Kate Harper interact some more. Right. Although this is definitely not flirtatious. In fact, she seems pretty annoyed with him the whole time. That yeah. he, keeps, <laughs> he keeps pushing the stupid VP's agenda about this stupid situation. I mean, and again, the ultimate question is, why is he even there? Yeah. He should be out on the campaign trail. It's like days before Super Tuesday. Um, because yeah, Donna and Cliff talk about that. They have a little moment of reconnect and Cliff's like, Hey, I should like buy you dinner, dinner again. And like, we should catch up. And, um, and she's like, yeah, after super Tuesday. So yeah, they should really be out campaigning. You have much better things to do. At least Matt well, Santos can vote. I'll, I'll tell you this. This is why bingo Bob doesn't win the primary. <laughs> All, <laughs> his fucking campaign advisor was spending time in DC pointlessly. <laughs> trying to hook up with their secondary character besties <laughs> yeah exactly so let's take a quick break there and then we'll come back we'll discuss a couple other subplots in this episode So, the other major subplot of this episode, at least one of them, is a Nobel laureate dinner that the White House is hosting. As Stu, as you so wisely pointed out, the last one was in episode four of season three. So, this is a a recurring thing on this show um, to have the Nobels come. And this time, the president is a little upset because one of the attendees is the guy that he split his uh, Nobel Prize for economics with, who's a Japanese economist, whose the character's name is Mr. Doctor. Sorry, Doctor. Of course, he went mm-hmm. to uh, Doctor Takahashi, who got his doctorate in making up numbers, uh, but doing it a slightly different way than Bartlett. He's played by uh, beloved actor um, Mako, or Mako, I think it's Mako. It's probably Mako. Uh, who's sadly no longer with us, uh, but many remember for being the voice of Uncle Iroh in the Avatar The Last Airbender cartoon uh, until he passed. So this is this is him well before that. He, obviously, he's done a million different roles. You see him show up as, like, old Asian guy in mm-hmm, everything. Yeah, he's a little typecast, sort of. Yeah, a little bit... Um, and uh, he's voice acted a lot. So, yeah, he plays Bartlett's basically professional economist rival. Uh, and and Bartlett is not thrilled about meeting <laughs> that him. That he's showed up. 
<laughs> yeah, he's like, well, at least so you know, at least Doctor Takashimi won't fucking be here tonight. And they're like, no, Doctor Takashimi's coming. <laughs> he's right he's there. Like, <laughs> he's the he's like the professor in residence in, in Chicago. So he's he's in America and he came and and you're gonna have to have lunch dinner with him. And he's like, oh fuck. So he 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 basically just has to deal with that the whole episode. There's it's some interesting sort of like um, it's like nega John Marbury energy here where it's yes. like the guy yeah. isn't charismatic at all he's just yeah. grumpy and picking fights all the time instead of frankly like being yeah. persuasive and, and paving them or over charming. like john marbury would right, like he's just right. like an absolute curmudgeon which rules because yeah, yeah. well and frankly it's he's great. also a fucking um he comes off as a even more extreme neoliberal than Bartlett's. Right. I, I think he's like a Milton Friedman type. Yeah. Uh, I think was the implication from some of the stuff Bartlett said, that he's basically the conservative yang to Bartlett's yin, as it were, uh, where Bartlett was pushing a slightly lefter version, like very center-left, but a little bit more left than this guy who is seems like he's outside of the, like from the Austrian school of economics kind of thing. Yeah, it just seems, I mean, and this will redound later, but a little bit. I also want to just put it out there that the Nobel Prize for Economics is fake. It's, it was it's not. Yep. It was not one of the first five, and it was first awarded in 1969. Surprise! Right, and it's still <laughs> it's still not considered a real Nobel, uh, like, compared to the, the actual ones. Yeah, because economics is a fake, fake number It's a fake discipline. They, yeah i just just make make shit up it's just it's absolutely fascinating to me that you can have so economics as a if you want to call it a discipline is just so orthodox that the concept of having an award that is given to people who nominally in this case if you really believe it is making quote progress in a science they would give it to people who betray the orthodoxy the most cuz like I guess. there's no there's no there's no deviation in modern neoliberal economic thought like what are you talking about you're going to be ostracized before you even like get to a get to an audience i think it's regard. basically who who came up with the best plan to tweak the knobs and levers the best you know cuz you can't you can't throw out the knobs and levers ever but it's who 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 tweaked them the best yeah. they get the prize <laughs> maybe like every year someone gets to replace a lever and it's like oh exactly. this dude's a this dude's a genius he changed that then, one lever on the giant machine then we have to contemplate the effects of that for the next 5 to 10 years uh. and and et cetera, et cetera. yeah so they just kind of have like economic sort of squabbles with each other that are basically a stand-in for their actual personal issues with each other. Yeah. Where That's he's great. just like, you can't do this. And he's like, oh, your country is drowning in debt, America. And he's like, well, what about Japan? And he's like, yeah, what about Japan? At least we're, <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. And they just kind of go back and forth on this for a while until they just kind of get around to like, uh, I guess I like you after all, buddy. no. No worries, big man. Like, we're not going to worry about, you know, deficits and who owns what debt. Because that's there's just, there's just so much fucking... It's absolutely grating to listen to... I You know, like we always talk about, it's just like... You're sucked in by the characters and the 
persuasiveness of the actors. And then there are just occasional times where it's completely jarring to hear just like the Bloomberg talking points just spew forth from these people who you're like nominally normally like well i'm inclined to like this guy because i've been watching this show for 80 fucking episodes now and like we know he's a good guy yeah it makes me flash back to the the supreme court justice who called bartlett out he's like i wanted a democrat yeah and and i I got got you you That's this is like if he could hear this kind of kind of conversation. That's exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, like, yeah. Why, why can't you just be like a fucking actual Democrat back when we were a Labor Party and whatnot? <laughs> but obviously that time is long gone. <laughs> and yeah, so they just kind of bicker about that. And like, there's no real climax or conclusion to their subplot. It's just at the end of it, they're just like, ah, I guess we're friends after all. And, yeah, and that's it. There, there's a like, there's sort of a redemption because in in the show's lexicon, Bartlett's kind of getting owned for a while, and but then yes. Takahashi tries to dance at the the big banquet and faints or something because he's eighty oh, years right. old. Yeah, he, he he like hit his head, and yeah, that's when they have their their like makeup is like he's holding ice to his head in the uh, in the Oval Office. I mean, and and, and have... then like there's a scene with Bartlett and Abby like going to bed for the night or whatever, and they're kind of musing about the chat that they had or I, 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 I don't care. <laughs> yeah. But th- this all builds nicely into the final subplot, which is a group of children have come to the white house and they're like a, a young political club, basically like a student, mm-hmm. a student government club from like, I think a local DC school is the implication yeah, or they're or maybe... on like a field trip from somewhere because like a class yeah. trip for eighth grade. I know a bunch of people, yeah who did like their the at the end of middle school y'all took a trip to dc sure exactly see the white house and learn how government works and all that all that good junk but they're here for a little bit more than just a tour for um our lead kid who goes by cody uh is on a bit of a crusade to push for uh the youth's right to vote uh for children for every everyone basically he wants to abolish Abolish the the voting voting age. age Yeah, which uh, and he's got a lot of great arguments for it as yeah, he so, goes throughout his his pitch. Well, and like I was thinking about this because, so within the show's viewership and idiom, you are supposed to initially take this kid and be like, it's just <laughs> a fucking stupid kids, kid. Kids don't know anything about levers and dials. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, kid. And have you ever tweaked a dial in your life? I don't sure. think so. You don't even. You're not even gonna like. You're gonna get near the dials till you're 25, kid. Get the fuck out of here. We got the most beautiful dials. The levers. <laughs> oh, I get to go back there. I touch them, but you can't touch them. Not you. <laughs> so yeah. So. Yeah, he, he they, they kind of get, they're pushing back on uh, Annabeth. So Annabeth yeah. ends up being the one to guide them around. It's basically just giving them the tour. And Cody immediately, like good on the kid, is immediately like, we don't just want a fucking tour like any other group. We're here to like meet with someone. We actually like had a meeting scheduled with, I think CJ at first, and then it gets pawned to Toby, and then yeah. Toby pawns it on Annabeth. Yeah, because they, they, obviously they, they have better things to do. They play hot potato because, you know, they have other stuff it's kids. going on. And the kid, actually, I'll get you a clip. The kid goes on, get the clip of uh, the kid going on this great rant about how they get shoved off because they're kids. Were you briefed on our purpose? Probably not. We're a youth lobby in support of the constitutional amendment to forbid discrimination of voting rights on the basis of age. 
They want the voting age lowered. We want it abolished. Well, that's radical. Why do we get the brush off today? Why do we keep getting passed down the food chain? Why do you keep looking at our chaperone or Miss Schott to intervene? We're children, and that in itself shouldn't render us meaningless. But in this society, we are meaningless because we're powerless. We have no voice. Well, that's an interesting point. I'll, 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 I'll read your stuff. The Roosevelt Room. And the brush off again. And why not? No risk in offending us. We don't exist. What is it you want? More than a 15-minute tour and 30-second drive-by. We've been shuffled around 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. It's like there's a plot to keep us from discussing our agenda with anyone that matters. What Cody means is that children's suffrage is a complex issue, and it... I, I, I get it. I get what he means. Okay. And, yeah. like, this is a great point. I felt this way all the time as a kid. I legit did. Like, you have no agency about basically anything. And like, you... And it's, you know, it's 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 a form of injustice. It absolutely is. And I'm not saying, like, abolish parenting or whatever, but he, he raises a lot of good points. There's, um, and I, you know, and doubtless most of the listeners to this show are familiar with the phenomenon of, you know, being this kid's age, having an idea and believing passionately, and ultimately the um, peer pressure that comes into play in a scenario mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. this it isn't even necessarily active. It's just an acceptance on the part of others that you then feel yep. pressured to also accept. That's a good point, because the show actually shows that, like, when he starts going on it, like, the one of the girls from his group is like, Cody, don't. And, like, like that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, just instantly the peer pressure there of, like, no, 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 this is an important adult, Cody. You can't bother them. And And, you know, like, because we have been told to do something, our default is just to meekly be taken on this ride around the white house server and yeah and so he does a really good job of like pushing back and there's a little bit of the you know social dynamics at play there which i appreciate yeah. because yeah his well, i mean as he sort of makes the point throughout the show like it is the votes for children to me are if we are going to always thank you democrats redound to well, what are you going to do? You got to vote about it as right. a solution to fucking everything. Right. Well, then I know 20% of the population that can't. Yeah, you need to make the vote open to literally everyone then, if, if voting's going to be how we do everything. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's a radical proposal, but like, on like we need radical change. Yeah, and we have for a long time. Do? And that's, that's honestly, th this. This plotline has a lot of good potential, and the child actors are really good. So, which is yeah. you know hard hard to find, particularly for drama. Um, yeah. So, in, in, like, in a, good in on a the show casting like this. and all that. Good on the casting. Good on the writing. It's all written well. So, <laughs> till a point. <laughs> you, so we get we get them in a room, and Toby is convinced. So they cancel their dinner out plan to get pizza mm -hmm. delivered, which great, fine, that works. And Toby mm -hmm. actually sits down with them and listens for a while and listens yep. for a while. And, you know, is, you know, not swayed, swayed but yeah, but He's understands. Yeah. yeah. So they take him into, <laughs> they take him into a the press, press conference, conference mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. the president is answering questions where, where the president first off is just like sandbagging um, all the candidates. By, oh yeah. By, 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 he comes out, he's like, uh, cause, um, cause when you talked about him and Abby, were having the, the, so, the sit down pillow talk about mm -hmm. like, 
well, what can you do? And Abby's like, yeah, you know, I, it's like Eisenhower. He was a general and he couldn't stop the military industrial complex from forming. And this is like Bartlett's eureka moment of like, aha, I know what I can do. And his big idea is just to go on the press conference and be like, you know what doesn't get talked about enough? The deficit. <laughs> and, and you know what? I fucked it up. I made it bigger. Uh, and the candidates aren't going to want to talk about that, but my campaign promise is that I'm going to go around saying I fucked up the deficit a bunch. And so we get Cody and called the, on yeah, to answer, when, to ask a question. Right. And so Cody's like, Cody's first question is like, do, since this is now a debt themed press conference is like, don't, don't you think the debt of, uh, you know, uh, no adversely affects the youth of America, Mr. President. And he gets to go on a little spiel of like, yes, of course, we're letting down our children by piling all this great national debt upon them. And then Cody is like, follow-up question, what if kids could vote? Wouldn't that fix the debt, sir? And and Bartlett gets to do is like, hmm, wow, children voting. Now there's an idea worthy of consideration. And then the kids are like, oh, my God, the president is thinking about yeah. our idea. <laughs> and this is the biggest the biggest win ever. It's, it's the best thing in the world that, like, the president listened to one of them say 14, not 14, let's not do that, 17 <laughs> words in a press yeah. conference. And he's going to think about it for all of five minutes before yeah. something else distracts him well, but, and he completely forgets it. And also, this is the, the reason why... I was just, I was incensed by this scene is because up to this point, and frankly, the first question that Cody asks is, shouldn't you, wouldn't you agree that environmental concerns are of primary importance to children because we will be the ones living in the world shaped by environmental policy? And she's like, yes, well, that would be great. And then they, and then just then they dovetail into this ridiculous like Friedman-esque deficit hawkery and justify it with the kid going like, yeah, I don't want to pay for like old people's bullshit in the country, even though that's not how it works at all. Yeah. It's, it's so God, the national debt myth is so ingrained in everyone that just like, Oh, well, debt is bad, you know, on like a personal level. Therefore country debt is also bad. And it's just like, I'm so glad I had an economics teacher in college just sit us down one day and like, look, the national debt literally doesn't matter. Anyone who tells you it matters and is like getting in the way of whatever is fucking lying to you. Yeah. And I'm not even like a big economist brain, so I can't really simply elucidate any of the mechanisms behind why it doesn't matter. All I know is that you don't have to, because if you get trapped into trying to, again, shove the correct viewpoint into the economic orthodoxy, you're going to be run around in circles. Like, you can't. Right. So, yeah, it's it's so frustrating because if they had stuck to the climate thing, it's a very powerful and, like, and, and like extremely modern and still relevant plot point of, like, of the kids sitting there lambasting the president, like, hey, we can't vote for climate change shit, and you're killing the planet, and, like, that's such a powerful thing, and it would have been prescient, and all that, and they just swerved right off that highway <laughs> into into deficit alley. And, and I don't know if that's on the writers for not having cogent enough ideas, because it's clear that they, 
again, it's clear that they align with the orthodox thought in economics enough to have these two personalities have a, if not nuanced, a um, correctly yeah, they, framed discussion with Dr. Takahashi yeah. and Bartlett. They can talk about this issue. So I don't yeah. know if it's that they can't do that with environmental stuff or uh, just that yeah. they're lazy. Or I think it's, I think it's you know, they, they're like, well, we already covered the environmental thing when we had those four wackos in a room talking about how solar <laughs> wouldn't work because it was going to cover half of Utah or or what have you. <sighs> so, I, uh, yeah, it's just, it's incoherent as the entire episode is structurally. It was an entertaining episode overall, but uh, only on, like, the more lighthearted, non-serious stuff. The second the episode tries to get into the meat of politics, it's completely incoherent again. I also just want to say that um, using children in a fictitious world to push your viewpoints is just as gross as, yeah. like, using your children in real life to yeah. push your viewpoints. And it's, it's the most West Wing thing ever that all the kids want is to vote. <laughs> 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 like, come on. Come the fuck off. They don't want anything else. They don't want actual action taken. They just want to be able to vote. <sighs> Which, let's, let's be clear. The West Wing! In, in a... If, if voting... Frankly, if there was a bunch of other shit that will never be fixed about voting got fixed, then yeah, actually that would sure. be a big foot. Cause if you actually sure. had representation in this country, which if you it, do not, if anything, I think the Democrats would be all for this. Cause kids would probably skew democratic for the most part. So they'd yeah. be picking up like millions <laughs> and millions of new view voters. Like I'm, I'm trying to think of how, because like three to seven year olds would vote libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> if, like, if you could if you could properly yeah if you could just be like it's the more playtime no homework party yeah that's, right. <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> like your your 8 to 11 year olds would probably skew republican and then when they discover basically when you discover sex they start coming over to the democratic right. party right like <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. Um yeah, but I think that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, we touched on pretty well everything. I, we, I mean, there's just, yeah. there's just, it's hard to watch some of these episodes and... I want to be back on the campaign trail, <laughs> damn it. Well, like, it's Millhouse, just, when are they going to get back to the campaign trail? Wiggity wiggity, word up. Um, <laughs> like, there's just so much going on that you lose track of, like, who has been talking to what. Again, the scenes in the House of Representatives were fun to watch and stuff, but it's just like, wait, hang on. Why is Cliff Callie also talking to, to John? And then there's Will right. Bailey, but they're and in a room with a the Canada guy. Game. And yeah, I don't know. It's ridiculous. They're trying to be clever, and I think it kind of got them just like all over the place. One subplot should have been excised and then yes. like develop the other three a little bit more. And this is a much better episode overall. Yeah, absolutely. So, Let's hopefully let's get out of the White House next episode. Hopefully we get back to the campaign trail and uh, and we'll see where we go from there. But yeah, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back next time to discuss another episode of the West Wing here on the Worst Wing. Uh, you can hit us up in either one of our threads on BNR or something awful. If you found us another way, hi, hello, welcome, and you can shoot the show an email at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice, nice, and we'll be back next time to discuss another episode of the West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Bye-bye, everyone. Stay, Stay safe. safe. And all the money you ask for 
But don't ask me to come on along 